0: Welcome to the Agile Strategy Lab podcast, where we explore what it means to view your organization, your company, or your community through the lens of agility, to create a strategy that works in a rapidly changing world. I'm Liz Nilsen, the Associate Director of the Lab at the University of North Alabama. Today's episode is number 30. When you hear the words diversity and inclusion, A specific set of ideas and interventions might come to your mind. Most of those are probably based on the variety of human experience that can be described by standard demographics. What ethnic or cultural backgrounds do people represent? What language do they speak? How old are they? And what gender? Do they have a disability? All of those factors influence the way an individual experiences the world. And they bring those particular experiences to any team that they're part of. And, to use a popular phrase, that's not a bug, it's a feature. All of these kinds of diversity have the potential to make our team stronger, and there's been plenty of work done about how to help that happen. Today's episode focuses on a different kind of diversity, one that you won't find in any data set that you download from the Census Bureau. It's the diversity that springs from how our brains approach various kinds of problems. We call that cognitive diversity. It too manifests itself in every team we're part of, whether it's recognized or not. And just like other kinds of diversity, cognitively diverse teams can be better teams, especially when it comes to working in spaces that require creativity and innovation. We have two guests for this episode. The first is Sebastian Hammers of Human Insight, a Dutch organization helping people and companies harness these kinds of ideas. Human Insight is the genius behind, among other things, the AEM Cube, an online assessment that measures mindsets. He's joined by Tabitha Scott of Southern Growth Studio. Tabitha is a speaker, writer, and consultant who's worked with companies large and small seeking to align their people with the market, and the operational challenges the organization faces.
1: Um, The amount of complexity around us is getting bigger and bigger. And this shift has been going on for quite a while now. And the one thing we've researched and found interesting is there's um, a person that's affiliated with Yale University called Richard Foster, who actually researched the um, longevity of organizations um, on the Standard and Poor's Index. And what he found is that this shift in complexity and amounts that is impacting us as a society, organization, has been going on for quite a while. So it's a culmination of COVID, of course, that's impacting us on the grander scheme of things. But basically what he researches, it's been going on since 1919 already. Organizations and average lifespan of companies based on the Standard Poor's been going now from 1920, which is 67 years, to 2012, it's 15 years, and he's basically plotting and moving forward into that it's going down on an average of below 10 years in 2027. So what does that mean for us as a a, uh, people working in organizations? Well, organizations are really made out of people working there, of course. Um, So we try to figure out and research this element of, okay, if organizations are a a surrounding of, of collection of people working there, How can we help people to perform better? How can we leverage the insights and also the talent sets of those different people? So what we did was research of where do people naturally contribute into executing strategy? Where do people naturally contribute to working together? And we found a couple of elements which are interesting. So let's just look at the topic of diversity. What we found was there are three types of diversity that we find interesting. One is the, the, the multicultural diversity. So the, um, the background that we have. For example, my father is Dutch, but my mother is English. And we, I grew up in the east of Holland. So that gives me a certain multicultural ethnic background. And also it gives me certain values and norms that I grew up with. Dutch, loving cheese, loving licorice, that kind of stuff. It's not set out for everybody in the world. <laughs> So that's one side. So the second level of diversity is the cognitive diversity. So the way that we think and solve complex problems. And that's where it gets very interesting because how I approach problems and solve or look at it has a different mindset than, for example, Tabitha has or Liz has. But the last level, what we found interesting is this only makes sense if we can kind of align strategic diversity. So what we mean with that that one is if we as a group were working together, It would be very interesting to to know what kind of talent talent sets we have as a group kind of solving a complex problem. Understanding each other of, okay, what's your background? That's fine. What's the element that you solve complex problems? at second. But also, do we have the right people aligned to kind of help us move forward? Peter Robertson, he did a lot of research on this topic around, okay, but where do people naturally contribute? And we found a very simple model um, in that can be backtracked in biology, which is called the S-curve. We call it the growth curve because the simplicity of the growth curve can be plotted around organizations and can be plotted also how we naturally contribute.
2: I've done a lot of work with Fortune 500 companies around strategic diversity. And what we mean by that is um, the way that we think and the AIMCube tool that we're going to be talking about with Human Insight today is another way of making sure you have diverse teams. So in addition to demographics, which is what comes to mind first when we think of diversity and inclusion, this is about how you get into action, what really energizes you. And um, it's really, really important to make sure that where your strategy is and where your organization is along the growth curve, that you have the right team members there in order for it to really take off and grow and so this is a very practical method and tool um, when i took a um, course at harvard and strategy a couple of years ago they were just introducing the s curve the growth curve and those concepts
1: this is where it comes down to where we found that this not only cognitive diversity but the strategic diversity comes into play into helping organizations move to different growth curves so a growth curve is basically when it's starting with a company, it's a startup, you have an idea, it's, it's, it's a birth of a company, you're, you're putting products into the market, it's growing when you get, make money, find customers, and then there's a, always a certain period of harvesting. But there's also um, um, this, the birth of the next growth curve, so to speak. You have to reinvent yourself to be able to find, well, existence for the next five to 10 years, like Mr. Foster um, researched in his Sand and Poors Index. So there's companies that are able to do that, and there's also companies that are struggling to do that. And we found that, okay, why is that? Why is, what's the impact of people on this kind of element? Um,
0: Sebastian, one of the ways that you introduce these ideas is with the metaphor of five chairs. Everyone sits in a chair that's most comfortable to them. Chair one people are the ones that are constantly seeing new opportunities. Chair five people are the ones who are concerned with smooth operations. And of course, there are three other chairs between those two that are occupied by people who like turning ideas into reality by testing or scaling up or ensuring that there's impact. And I know that sounds maybe like we're just talking about personalities, but where it really brings value, I think, is when you line up those chairs along the growth curve and think about where a company is at any given time can you talk about that
1: we found that there's a couple of things here that that's impacting performance within organizations uh, basically in teams working together and we found that each and every individual contributes to a specific part of the growth curve so for example with coming back to the chairs i'm a chair one person it's very difficult to unlearn certain types of behavior. I always have new ideas. My girlfriend gets very bored of me every single time. Hey, honey, let's do this. Oh my God, it's a new idea. Really? Um, But I struggle to finish these things off. So within that natural contribution, I do well or work well with people that are more focused on, okay, let's focus on the details. Let's focus on operations. So that's interesting for one thing, but also interesting that nobody contributes optimally to that whole growth curve. So I do well in one specific area. And if I know that, and if I can use it to my context, it's good for me to know, okay, what kind of people do I have in my network, in my team, in my organization that can help me benefit to the next step or help this product to move upward growth curve. And then it comes down to linking also towards, okay, if my organization is growing, there are different elements within each organizational lifecycle that are expected from the company to deliver so to speak Um, if a startup is growing um, you're focusing on uh, putting products and services into the market customers are coming back you need to perform enhance productivity enhance performance enhance quality those are different traits and different elements your company as a whole needs to deliver into the market And also, if you look at it further, those are different talent sets from people that you need as well to be able to deliver that. Because I naturally can't do that because I'm an idea guy. I struggle to be very optimizing in my natural role. So I need others who did that more better from a natural contribution to help me move forward on that one. So. This is research that have been done for years and years, and you basically stick for the rest of your life around that natural contribution. So chairs number one to five, if you're a chair number two person, you're almost there set for life. And knowing and understanding how you form that area, that's where the magic happens, especially if you align the other four chairs around you and align them in the organization context to be able to perform. So high-performing teams are... Uh, For one side of the coin, high performing teams are what we see from practice and every single time and also from research is that those teams are aligned better than others. Those teams are strategically more diverse. Those teams are cognitively more diverse than others. So the team gels well and better because they come from, well, again, they have a different cognitive perspective and they're strategically diverse and well balanced. Now, from working with a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, leading organizations and management teams, we see that high-performing management teams, for example, that they, individuals at least, the ones that know their, I call it, self-perspective well enough, they're basically the entrepreneurs saying, well, I'm very good at um, having conversations with customers. I'm very good at business development. The rest of the elements I leave to my colleagues because they are better than I am in that area. So what we see is there's a nice symbiosis of high performance when people align themselves with their talents and trades to their result areas and where others come in and help them kind of perform at the other areas that they don't do well.
2: And I would also use an analogy that I've heard Sebastian use in the past of a rubber band where um, when you're speaking about an individual doing more than one of those places along the curve. Um, For example, I'm at the bottom of the curve, like Sebastian, where I'm creating ideas. I could do accounting or programming, which is further up the curve, but it needs to be a short period of time because over time, I'm going to snap back to my preference and I'll start making mistakes because I'm not energized by that and I'll get fatigued. So that's the definition of burnout. My background is in electrical energy and human energy. How do we get into action? And that's why I love this research because it's about ontologically, how are people moving and getting into action? And since we're made of energy and since organizations follow that same growth cycle that all of us do, it's really important to understand how to maximize that potential of each person. Um, these are just some definitions exploratory at the beginning inquisitive those are the people that say hey this is a great idea but is it relevant is it doable execute the people in the middle of the curve just love to roll up their sleeves and get things done we see a lot of middle managers in there in that category and then efficient Um, who are the people that are creating efficiencies naturally and scaling organizations and finally stability at the top Um, who is protecting our brand who is protecting the process and guarding that.
0: Tabitha, I know you've worked with a number of quite large companies to help them translate these ideas into action. And at a few of them, I know you've experimented with cognitive and strategic diversity along a couple of dimensions, both how innovative they are and how effectively they execute. Can you tell us about one of those?
2: It's a fortune 200 company. And we had around 300 people in these studies that we did. We did live double blind experiments where we put people, they took the AIM cube in advance, and we placed them in like type teams first. And then um, we had them do an activity like find as many uses for a paper clip as you can besides the one you usually use it for. And then they would flip the page over, and on the back side, we would give them three more minutes and go through these five steps pick one of your ideas. How would you market it? You know, we took them through more of an operations process. And towards the end of the workshop, we mixed them in teams that were diverse. And what happened is we saw increases for innovation how many ideas they had when we mixed the teams up and had representatives from everyone in those chairs and so that was a double blind experiment we've done that experiment with three fortune 500 companies and each time those numbers go up so it's interesting for people to get to see in real time how mixing up your styles of thinking it makes you more innovative and it makes you more productive There's no right or wrong of what's on your team, but once you know, then you can put your problems and situations in the areas where they can be most effective and most powerful.
1: So one of the elements that we measure, or we can measure kind of diversity. We can measure the diversity of where do people naturally contribute growth curves. So where do I naturally contribute? Where does Tabitha naturally contribute? We do, we use an assessment. We use an assessment which is made out of 48 questions, two-sided. And it looks at different elements. And those different elements we can, we can specify. And those elements, they, they make up kind of the way that we have uh, or solve complex problems that are according to the makeup. Now, that only makes sense in, um, when looking at context. So we're, we're always looking at, so what's the context of the organization? What's it asking? What's the challenge at hand? And then we look at, okay, but is this team... Um, that we have here are we well equipped enough to solve that problem so that's how we're um, uh, helping organizations to figure out who are the people within your organization what's the context so what's the life cycle what's the growth of your organization focused on what kind of problems are you trying to solve have you got the right makeup within your team or do you need other people to solve them and is your team um, strategically diverse enough to, a- to be able to tackle those problems?
2: One of the things that we, we have observed is when we put them in like type teams, then um, they feel it, it's easy and fast because everyone is thinking in the same way. Um, so when I say fast, they're not solving the problem fast, they're getting along with each other fast. Now, when you put them in diverse thinking teams, the comments we get is, well, it, it took us longer, uh, because we had to negotiate. We had to, you know, take into consideration other types of thinking. And so we see that there is a, a mix of, um, you know, it might take a little longer because people are thinking differently, but what's happening is you're actually getting more input. And so you're becoming more innovative and getting more ideas and you're also getting through more of the steps because you have people saying, reining in the people that just want to chase more ideas they're reining them in hey let's get through all five steps so it takes both and i would say it depends more on the culture of the company you're dealing with than um you know an overall blanket statement about um, demographics versus cognitive diversity it's it's important to note that you're going to have skewed teams so when you want it balanced all the way along is when you're working on a new project or something that needs to roll out and scale across the organization or if you're looking at your leadership team you need to make sure you have a a diverse mix there
0: thanks for listening the tool sebastian and tabitha referred to as a way to measure cognitive and strategic diversity the aem cube is available through the Agile Strategy Lab. If you'd like to learn more about that, as well as the other tools we use with organizations to bring about transformation, check out our website at agilestrategylab.org slash solutions. Or you can email us through the website. Just look for the Contact Us button. See you next time.